Welcome to the uh, first edition of the All the Fly Kids Show Live and, and Pizza and Bar. As you all are sitting in, some of y'all is your first time here. Um, others, it is not. But nonetheless, thank y'all. I'm your host, Geronimo Knows. Here with Backpack Matt. What up? What up? So um, happy to be here. <laughs> After crisis mode. So. Okay. All right. So <laughs> if I'm smiling, that means that I'm I'm in a good mood. So I'm smiling. So. All things considered, tonight's guest, um, everybody in this room has heard of go-go music, whether you've actually heard go-go music or have gone to a go-go show. Um, we found it important, Matt and I, um, as DC area natives um, and as um, both individuals who came up in go-go's listening to go-go, we found it important that to kick off this show and for Black History Month that we have somebody who's a local legend. Um, you a local legend, man who is a local legend um, within the genre and within the city. Um, I'd like to introduce, without further ado, Mr. Andre White Boy Johnson, yeah. founder of Real Essence. I'm all right, I'm all right, I'm all right. How are you doing? Everything is good. I appreciate your patience, man, I really do. You know what I mean? Um, so I know I kind of cheated and uh, gave you a question to think about before we started. Um, just because I know sometimes we can throw people off, but uh, we like to ask every guest that's coming out the gate. What's the uh, and because this is the all the fly kids show. Um, what's the flyest thing you've ever done? You know that's a hard question because we've been around for so long. Okay. <laughs> we've been we've done we've been fortunate enough to to have been a part of a lot of really good really special events. So whether it be the the um, doing a show, Go-Go Live at the Capitol Center or performing as a surprise guest at uh, a wedding reception where the bride hired us to perform because the groom was such a big fan of ours, mm -hmm. or a high school graduation. I mean, it's just been a whole lot of stuff. Aretha Franklin music video, a ludicrous video, right, right, right. you know, all of that stuff. And so it's, it's a lot. Okay, okay. Um, you know what? Let's actually switch. You get in the middle. <laughs> You get in the middle here, make it a little easier. So now I'm just looking at you, that old way. So I actually have a question for you. Uh, so I did some research on you, and uh, I didn't have to look too far because um, I remember meeting you when I was a, a very young kid. Oh, really? Yeah, on, oh. over on a street called Clay Place. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Uh, well, that's where I grew up. I at. think you grew up there, and yep. actually. Uh, you had a neighbor whose name was Hester, Hester Ashton. Yes, yeah. And she had a, a, a daughter and son, Tangie and Troy. Yeah, yeah, so Hester's, yeah. Hester's my aunt. So oh, okay. I remember right. going there many a days for like cookouts and stuff. Yep. And everybody bragging that white boy lived next door. <laughs> so, so I called her. I called her. I asked her. I was like, you know, put, you know, give me some dirt on white boy. <laughs> yeah, she, she was good. She didn't say anything. But she I said, was... she said you were an amazing kid, and that most of the time you were very low key. And you stayed in the crib and you worked on music all the time. Is that true? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, you, it, you, I turn it on and off. A lot, most of the time, because since we started at such a young age, yeah. um, we, I mean, you, you get into it, but then you learn to kind of separate it, mm. you know, at, at a certain point. So, uh, yeah, and thank her for that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I keep going. Well, yes. Uh, so, so talk to me about how the significance of Clay Place, and just Northeast in general, and how that kind of inspired you musically. Like, uh, 
Well, actually, I grew, I grew up in Southeast. We moved to Northeast when I was maybe 15, 16 years old. But from an early age, we grew up in Southeast, which is where the band was formed at. Uh, we all went to St. Thomas More Elementary School over on 4th Street Southeast. So um, myself, um, Quentin Davidson, that's Foots, uh, uh, Michael Neal, Falker Ned, and John Jones, that's Beaker, we all went to the same Catholic school. Yeah. And um, we were all friends in the neighborhood before we were even bandmates. Is that, is that high school still around? That class, that it's an school? elementary school, yeah. yeah it's a, absolutely, it's still around. Yep. Um, and then I'll, I'll finish off one more question. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> One thing that I think is dope is the recent uh, NPR Tiny Desk concert that you all did. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, and so it was interesting because, you know, I knew RE, you know what I'm saying? Like, it, it was, nothing was surprising me. Like, I was up and dancing and stuff while I was watching it. But I was, I wanted to look at the comments to see, since NPR is not your typical kind of platform to see Go Go, what the comments were from people who had never heard it before. And of course, you get like a bunch of DC Pride comments, mm -hmm. and then interspersed between that, you would hear something like, Wow, the lyrics are, you know, the lyrics are easy to follow along to, but the groove is just amazing. I've never heard anything about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, that was that was unique because we have never done anything like that. And it was like maybe 10 or 11 of us yeah. at right. this person's desk. Right. Which... In all red. R.E. gear. You know, yeah. we used to being spreaded around across the stage. Yeah, yeah. You know, but to be in there. But it was, it was a lot of fun. Uh, with us to do that when we did that and we also were trending on Twitter right, yeah. for for like that day and the next day because of that Tiny Desk performance so so shout out to NPR yeah, so, I remember even watching it and I said man how, did they, how were they able to even pack in there to get all that right. get all those instruments in everybody still, in there with the coordination with the coordinated dance team it took a while but they got it done <laughs> <laughs> so, so in that same vein, for people who just got exposed or are still getting exposed to RE and go-go music in general, how would you explain or describe go-go music to somebody who's never heard it before? Well, it's a live experience first. You can hear it on, on, on records, but unless you really don't get caught up in the experience until you're there live, mm -hmm. um, you, you can like or not like the record usually what i tell people is if you walk in a skeptic if you walk into a go-go skeptic you're going to leave a fan because that's how much the, you get caught up in the atmosphere and the excitement that everybody else right is is projecting with with being in the party and, and dancing to the songs and just having a good time it's more than music it's an experience it's an experience you just can't help it right and, and is that something that you saw just Anywhere in the world that Rare Essence has performed. That's what happens. As soon as a lot of people walk in, you know, let me see what this is about. But when they leave, it's like, oh man, you guys are amazing. We love it. You know, that, that, it always turns out like that. What are a couple of your favorite cities that y'all have traveled to, or favorite events that y'all played over the years? You know, it, uh, like I said, it's been, since we've been around for so long, yeah. it's been you a don't lot. Don't have to but, be the best. It's, you know, kind um, um, The. Um, the, the one that comes to mind off the break is that South by Southwest performance that we did 
last year mm -hmm. in um, Austin, Texas. Now, we played it in 2015 as well. Okay. Uh, but 2017, it was a bigger event. It was a bigger show. Um, uh, so we, there were a bunch of people there who did not know who Rare Essence was. Right, absolutely. They, and the only uh, thing that they knew about Gogo was uh, Chuck Brown and EU. Doing but, the what? Yeah. yeah. Um, so when we got on, and a lot of the crew there didn't know who you were. Okay. But when we got on and they heard the sound and the beat, then they knew exactly what it was they, they were listening to. Okay. Um, so that was, I mean, that was a, a really special uh, show that we did, and, and uh, on that particular show, we, we DJ Cool travels with us a lot. Okay, I so, didn't know that. So um, he comes out, and Cool has great energy. I yeah. mean, you know, he comes out, he really takes the band to another level. And anybody but, who doesn't know who DJ Cool is, he uh, did songs that you may know, such as Let Me Clear My Throat. Yeah, made <laughs> record. And uh, mm -hmm. 20 Minute Workout. Yep, yep. <laughs> which is yep. one of my favorites mm -hmm. by him. Yeah. And then on that particular show, Wale was a surprise guest. Okay. We didn't know that Wale was in town. They came to us 10 minutes before we were supposed to be on stage wow. and told us that Wale is in town. He wants to hit with y'all. Can y'all play his song? So we had to run back and readjust the set list yeah. to make sure that we include Wale. At the same time, having to learn his song. Right. Well, I mean, we pretty much knew it, but we'd never played it. Right, right. Um, so we had to put his song together like five minutes before we hit. Um, but everything worked out great. And how often over the years have, have you all had to learn an artist's song, you know, within 30 minutes or so, go ahead and hit it? It goes way back to Dougie Fresh, Biz Marquis, Heavy D, uh, Run DMC, mm -hmm. all of those people there. We, whenever we did a uh, performance with them, when, when we first did the performance, most of the time we didn't know that they were coming, and then they would show up and it's like, well, do you know this? Um, the, uh, the one that comes to mind is when we did the, it was called a DC Tunnel, yeah. uh, a few years ago, uh, we did a party with Ludacris over there. Okay. And um, for whatever reason, the promoter didn't have uh, the turntables, a CD player, or a DAT machine for him to perform with. Wow. So he came to us and said, well, do y'all know any of my songs? Okay. We told him that we knew rollout area codes, and we could probably fake a couple of others. Yeah. So uh, that's what ended up happening. That also is what led to Ludacris calling us yeah. a month later saying, look, I want y'all to do Jay Leno with me when I do it in January. Okay, that was gonna be, that was gonna be my yeah. next question. Okay, all right, so that's how that came that's about. That's how that came about. Okay, okay, and um, I wanted to save this towards the end, but we kind of already touched on it now with just, you know, some of the artists from back in the 80s and 90s mm -hmm. and whatnot that, um, you know, during their heydays, got the fresh Bismarck and one DMC. Um, talk a little bit about just the climate in DC at that time, you know, we're talking about, you know, what, mid 80s on through what the uh, mid to late 90s? Yeah. Okay, so we had a couple different things happening. So, you know, we're moving into, as far as the streets go, we move into the crack era um, from that from the mid 80s. Um, a lot of things taking place in the streets of DC in different neighborhoods, as well as just inner cities across the country. 
Um, you had Howard University, you had a lot of students, um, one of which at the time had Sean Combs, uh, Diddy, he was there um, doing a lot of promotions at the time. Um, I think Mark Barnes was definitely um, very, very pivotal, very pivotal um, in DC's nightlife um, yeah. in the late 80s by this point. Yeah. Um, talk a little bit about just, you know, how this climate, just all these different players, you know, whether they're promoters, whether they're, you know, out of town students going to HU, whether it's, you know, you know, drug dealers, whatever the case may be, how did it all affect just, you know, not only the sound of the music that y'all played, but that you were hearing from yourself, from your band and other go-go bands, but also just what the, the, the environments, the venues, the, the, the area, the places where y'all played, what was, what, how did that affect you? Well, it, uh, during that time, that's when go-go really started to get its legs and really started to take off, okay. um, not only in D.C., but up and down the East Coast. Right, right. Uh, the main vehicle that helped us was the cassette PA tapes that we used to record, mm -hmm. that people used to record. They would take those tapes away to school with them. So uh, at Norfolk State, North Carolina A&T, and down in Atlanta, uh, the, the kids from D.C. were playing their tapes while the other kids were playing hip-hop tapes. Right. So at that point, um, the, since DC had such a strong presence in on most of those uh, uh, HBCU campuses, mm -hmm. um, you had to have when you were doing the homecoming shows, you had to have uh, a hip hop artist, a go go artist, and then maybe a local DJ. Okay. So we that it was a lot of that going on. Um, you talked about Puffy. Puffy, um, we met Puffy when he. When uh, Uptown Andre Harrell, mm -hmm. the CEO of uh, Uptown Records, he had signed us, or he was interested in signing us to his label. Okay. Um, but he didn't have an A and R person at that time. He was already looking at Puffy, but right. he wasn't sure what he was going to do. Right. So when he came down here to talk to us, he talked to Puffy at the same time. Mm -hmm. So he signed us and hired Puffy yeah. almost simultaneously. And then kind of put us together uh, to go work on the uh, album that we were supposed to present to Uptown. Okay, and there's a, I know you got there's a there's a there's an interesting story to um, the relationship that y'all had with Puff and how something he might still hold a grudge about to this day. Well, that, that's with some individuals. That's really not with the band. Okay, that was certain individuals were no longer with us, okay. he had some issues with them. Okay. Um, but but uh, Puff and I, I haven't seen him in years, but as far as I know, we're cool. Okay, y'all good money. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of uh, record labels, uh, I saw that at one point you had signed to like Polygram Records way yeah. back in the day. Mm -hmm. And they just tried to not embrace the sound, but take you all as a band and, and switch you over to like techno and, and, and more up-tempo music. Every major label that we've signed to said, we want you to do what it is you do. But as soon as you sign on the dotted line, it's like, no, I don't like that. I don't like that. I don't like that. We sent Polygram, I know, 10 songs. They didn't like not one of them. We sent Uptown 20 songs, including Locker. They didn't like that. So with Polygram, we recorded a record called Flipside, which I hate to even mention because if you don't know about it, I don't want you to know about it. 
but that was the techno song that they liked. That we said, well, look, we just want to send this to them as a joke since they don't like anything that we've done. Right. Let's send them this. And we sent it to them and they liked it. Okay. So we were like, okay, we'll record that for you. We recorded it and they found some guy to produce it. And the week after they released the record, we asked for a release from the label. Okay. And they maybe gave it to us three weeks later. Okay. So we just recorded that song to get off the label. Got it, got it. It looks like we got a uh, question from the audience. Okay. We take questions from the audience, so if you have a question, feel free to just throw it out there. How did you get the name White Boy? <laughs> uh, so I got that name from uh, one of the original members, James Falk, uh, back in the 70s, which is when we started. Um, me being a guitar player, I used to listen to a lot of pop music, which is rock music, which was on the radio at the time. So it was a lot of Aerosmith and Fleetwood Mac, right. and those, uh, those guys there. So now, they had strong guitar parts in it. Since I'm a guitar player, I wanted to learn those parts. But the rest of the band wasn't really into that. So I'm playing Aerosmith, when everybody else is playing James Brown, right. Mark Hayes, right. somebody like that. So folks started calling me white boy, saying, you playing all that white boy. All oh, the white boy music. Yeah, <laughs> yeah which are all the songs that you know Guitar Hero right now. Okay, okay, all right. Um, go ahead. No, 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 you got what? I wanted to ask you about Fat Rodney. Fat Rodney. We used to call Fat Rodney our 20-minute star. Because Fat Rodney, um, local rapper here in D.C., but everybody around the city knew him. One of the best rappers who unfortunately never made it. Yep. One of the yep. best rappers to come yes. out of D.C. Absolutely. Black who unfortunately never made it. Mm -hmm. Rodney was, uh, 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 he was one of those guys that would could come up or, and just do whatever, say rap about anything. I mean, right there on the fly, he'd be in the audience pointing to people, talking about the girl in the red or the dude with the hat or whatever. He can make all of that make sense. And we could always depend on Rodney to come up there. And he was also entertaining. Yeah. So it wasn't just all about the street stuff. He was he was actually joining on people sometimes. Yeah. And he had us all up there laughing. So Rodney, we really miss Rodney. That, that's a real shame that he, were, he wasn't able to reach even half of his potential yeah, because um, he would have definitely been a star. Because at the time, you know, a lot of people might not know, be familiar with the, uh, the staged battles yeah. that, he and, that he and DC Scorpio yeah. were having um, back in the, in the late 80s. You know, um, you can find all this stuff on YouTube. You look up Fat Rod and DC Scorpio on YouTube. It'll come right up. Um, the channel always goes, what you going to do, Fat Rod? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, at the time, DC Scorpio, another um, another DC rapper um, who was actually signed to a label, um, they were actually friends. They were from different parts of town, you know, and just like I said, they just staged it like it was a real beat, but it wasn't a beat. They, you know, it was just for entertainment purposes to get the crowd going, get them to buy into it. And um, I have to say, though, that I was more of a fan of that Rodney's freestyles and verses than I was with DC Scorpio. But I just thought it was amazing even at that time, these brothers, they understood just the, uh, the importance of his um, marketing and branding within that within that scope. 
and then to push something forward just to get people listening to a different, get people listening to go go, but also get people listening to hip hop in a way that they wouldn't understand otherwise. Would you consider yeah. the first hip hop Yes, that was the first. That was Bat Rodney, DC Scorpio, uh, Tony Blunt, Stinky Dink. All of those guys were the first wave of uh, rappers in DC. Before then, you don't. I don't even know one. I don't even know. One. I can't think of anybody that was rapping. You know, uh, over the beat or whatever. I don't think. Of, I can't think of anybody. So, okay, since we're talking about rappers, you know, what are your thoughts just in regards to just Go-Go's influence within mainstream hip-hop, R&B over the years? In particular, you know, what some people may not know is that Trouble Funk is the most sampled Go-Go band in history. And I can't debate you on this. This is facts. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I had to write down a lot of the songs that they, that was, um, they use their samples. So, um, KRS One's Criminal Minded, Rock the Bells, LL Cool J, Roll It With Kid and Play, Fight the Power. Um, and that's just a few. Because, like I said, they've got, there's some people who sample their music that are lesser known. So, yeah, they're the most sampled go go band in, um, in, uh, in hip hop. But, um, you know, you, Rare Essence, has even um, been sampled and has also worked with mainstream artists. Um, over the years. Mm -hmm. I know also in particular um, there's a whole debacle that went down with Overnight Scenario. Yeah. You know, Charles <laughs> and Jay-Z when it came to do it again. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know how many people remember that, how many people forgot about it. I remember it very, very well um, just because, you know, I was a fan of both Rare Essence and Jay-Z. Um, still am. But to hear Jay-Z, a clip from Jay-Z saying that, you know, Go-Go bands take from us so we can, why can't we do it to them? I remember that and I wish I could find that clip, but it was on, it was, they played it on the radio here. And to hear that, um, you know, it hurt. But just, just thinking about, you know, how much of an influence the music of Go-Go has had on um, mainstream, just how um, the genre hasn't really gotten its just due. You know, your thoughts on that. Well, I mean, you just said it, Jay-Z. <laughs> He liked the record so much, mm -hmm. he took the format yeah. and and reworked it yeah. and used it. So, um, uh, along with all of the songs that have sampled Trouble Funk and uh, EU and Chuck Brown, mm -hmm. Junkyard. So, I mean, it's obvious that people are kind of paying attention. They listen to the songs and the music can work. Yeah. Um, but it's just a lot of times um, we don't get, you know, the proper representation of, you know, having, uh, um, being a part of certain things. I give a uh, uh, hats off to Pharrell because when he produced Nelly's Hot in Here, he gave Chuck Brown credit for him using uh, a piece of, he didn't actually use the record, but he recreated yeah, yeah. Uh, a Bustin' Loose right. at the intro mm -hmm. uh, of, of Nelly's Hot here. Yes. So I give him all, all all credit and all respect for that because that was big for him to do that. Well, I'm guessing that, like, that had a lot to do with the fact, too, that this there was he had a connection to Go-Go having grown up in Virginia Beach. Yeah. And 
bands always playing in that area for so many years. So you know he was familiar, so he respected it in a way that maybe some some um, some producers up in New York did. That's probably it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to ask you about Herbie Rothblatt because yes. he's like one of the most like unsung, notorious people that like figured it out and like knew it and launched and Play and Sacramento as to me okay so when I grew up I always thought they were go-go rappers first and I was like they're not from here this doesn't make any sense so I wanted to ask you about when you hear songs like Go With Kid Play and you're like, my mic sounds nice and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And when you heard this happening, and you're like, wait, not this again, but like, I just wanted to give people like a sense of what that was, because it was such a weird like mix of things that was happening. Did, did everybody hear that question? Yes, no, man. Yeah. Okay, so basically, yeah. um, he has, you know, what Andre's thoughts were hearing over and over again, you have a guy like Herbie Lovebug Azul, who was notorious for just, you know, sampling go-go and not crediting anybody <laughs> and saying like, oh yeah, I came up with this all my own. I don't even know where this, it just came to my mind. Um, just your thoughts on having to hear that and know the truth and know that he just, he really just stole it. So I'm not sure about the business side of him not giving credit to the people that he sampled, but I do know that Herbie is a Huge go-go fan. I mean, huge. We, when we were signed to Uptown, we he was down. He was down here for a week, working with us okay. on some of the records that we were going to present to Uptown. Okay. So, and during that time, we were playing maybe six nights a week, and, but during the day, we're in the studio. Mm. So, every night. Uh, every day after we finish the session, Herbie is like, okay, where are we going tonight? Yeah. What club are we at tonight? Because I'm going. And what, what clubs were popping at this time? Uh, what he, year was this? This was uh, 1989, 90. Okay, and what clubs were popping at this so time? So Herbie's been to the East Side. He's been okay. to the Black Hole. He's okay. been to the RSVP. He's okay. been to the Safari Club, which, is not, which was not far from here. He's been to... Um, it's probably a couple of others that he's been to. Okay. He's been to a lot of go-go's, and he not only wanted to come to see the band, he wanted to get there early so he can just hang out okay. and feel the the, the atmosphere, yeah, the yeah. vibe of of, of 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 the go-go. See the band, you fill up all that. Yeah. Okay. So, but oddly enough, when we presented um, Locket to uh, uh, Uptown. Uh-huh. And they said, well, nah, we don't want to put this out. So we asked them, we went, well, can we put it out? Because we need to put a record out in our area right. to make sure that we stay where we need to be. Yeah. And they were like, okay, yeah, yeah, go ahead. So we put the record out, and instantly the record became you know, popular. Was that was that where Essence's first big hit? Actually, no, Body Moon was Body the Moon? very first, first record that we put, put out. Okay. Um, I, made a list, I made a list of all y'all hits, too. So I wasn't, I wasn't 100% sure if... I know Body Moves was a hit, but I didn't know if Lockett was a, was a bigger hit than Body Moves. No, look, Body Moves was signed to Fantasy Records back in the day, but okay. we couldn't work that deal out because they wanted way too much from us. Right, right. So we got out of that one. But they, they, they picked it up and they distributed that record nationally. 
and it did chart for a minute, okay. but then the deal fell apart. Okay. But uh, getting back to Herbie, um, we asked uh, we asked uh, uh, Uptown if we could release that record, and they said, yeah, go ahead. So immediately we got the stations here. Uh, about a week or so later, we got Richmond, Norfolk, Norfolk, and North Carolina. Okay. So inside of a month, six weeks, we had maybe 17, 18 radio stations playing that record. Wow. So we go to Uptown and say, hey, look, this record is really starting to do something. Um, we need y'all to come on in here and take this thing over and let's go. Mm -hmm. They were like, uh, well, we're going to wait and see what happens. And we all okay, cool. Well, a few more weeks go by, we get a few more stations. They say, look, what you going to do? I go, we'll look at it later. So then we just kept going with it. But then when it was time for them to put the soundtrack together for their strictly business movie, yeah. um, which would be a, the, the first title of that movie was called Go Natalie. Um, they, we wanted, they wanted to put Lockett on the soundtrack. Okay. But they wanted a remix of Lockett, uh -huh. and they hired Herbie to give them a remix. So we asked, well, why do you want to remix the Dodo song? This is going to be the only song on that album that sounds like this. Yeah. They said, well, we just want Herbie to add more to it. Herbie mixed the record, but he took most of the Dodo out of it. Even though, up until then, Herbie had had some of the biggest Dodo records yeah. out. Right. He took all of the go-go out of it and gave them a hip-hop R&B version of the record that they added to the soundtrack. And when I asked him, I said, well, why did you take all of that out? He said, I gave them what they wanted. I said, well, um, they were asking for a go-go record. He said, that's what they said, but that's not what they wanted. I gave them what they wanted. If you, they didn't want to put your original song. He said, I couldn't do a better go-go record than y'all. He said, so they hired me to do a different one. And that's the record that they added to the sound. Was that one of your, the, the, the best lessons you learned in the music industry? That was. Absolutely it was. Okay. That they say one thing, but they really mean something else. That explains why... Mixtape is always better than now. <laughs> so I, I still want to, I still want to touch on the recording aspect of it and the distribution of, of, of the music, right? The product. I know that you were really into making sure that whatever was released was of the best quality, mm -hmm. like it was properly EQ'd and all that. But I know that there's a certain type of aesthetic that we all kind of like when it comes to listening to go-go music. Like people try to clean it up by going fully in studio, and sometimes those recorded recordings don't resonate as much as the live recordings. Based on your you know, massive amount of experience, which form of kind of recording do you prefer for your fans to listen to your music after it's already been performed? Well, obviously the live is just, you know, even when you hear the live experience on a tape, you get it better than when you record it in the studio because the studio is so uh, constricted. You know I mean, you can't really really let loose yeah. in the studio. Um, the live aspect of it, as long as everything is recorded right and mixed and mastered right, then it's that's the best way to experience it because right. a lot of people, I, I, I run into a lot of people, mainly out of town, that said that they don't like the sound of go-go. And I think what they mean is that the lack of 
the record being a properly mixed, right. uh, a okay. properly mastered. So just hearing it from like the PA or something. It's, it's, it's yeah. extremely raw and yeah. it can be harsh at times. And, and that's the part that they, so that immediately turns them off. So you don't even get to listen, they don't even listen to it because of the sound of it. What's, what's crazy is on the flip side of that, most people who are native to this area, we don't particularly like studio recordings. They don't, they don't <laughs> like it, don't like it too smooth. They like it yeah. a bit rough and yeah. you know, all that. So it, it, it's all the catch 22. I want to backtrack all the way back. So we figured out why your name is White Boy, but just for people who don't know the meaning behind Rare Essence, why did you all decide on Rare Essence? And what does that mean to you all as a group? Actually, Foots, the drummer, our late drummer Foots, Foots was the one that came up with that name. And he came up with the name by flipping the name of a perfume that was out at that time. Uh, they were uh, perf a perfume called Essence Rare was being advertised on television. He saw it one day and said, you know what, that'll be a good name for us if you flip the name. And as soon as he came and said, look, we should name the band Rare Essence. Everybody, so that's it? That's it. Wow. So okay, when you know, so you know. Flip a flip on a cologne. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's dope. That's so, dope. And one more, let me get one more. So you were talking about the live recordings and how you prefer that. One reason why I do prefer that is you get that real call and response. That's, I feel like it's an integral part of Go-Go. Mm -hmm. So I know you shouted out many neighborhoods and many people. So just based off of your own personal count, which neighborhood have you shouted out the most as a member of Rare Essence? You know what, I don't, I don't know, and I don't know if I want to start. Are you can rank your top three. <laughs> <laughs> I, give you some I think you're good. Yeah, that's going to be a serious debate right there. <laughs> you're good here, man. Go ahead. It's a safe space. Yeah, you know what? I don't know a lot of the um, Southeast guys They've been following us from day one, okay. you know, uh, and, and it's probably because that's where we're from. Yeah. The um, uh, Highland, Lindenpole, and all of that area over there, Wheeler Road area. They, I mean, they still follow us to this day. Yeah. You know, every night, somebody from one of those areas are in the club. As far as, and they would follow us. You know, when we went to Richmond, they went to Richmond. When we went to Atlanta, yeah. they went to Atlanta. So we they they've been supporting us for you know for the whole time. So I want to talk about um, I want to since we're talking about you know support going to shows things like that people who follow you over the years I want to talk about just you know that 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 whole essence of no pun intended that whole essence of just you know the um, the community event you know. That's not something that we see anymore in DC when it comes to go-go, you know, but that's something that I know myself and some other people in this room came up on, um, you know, whether it was uh, uh, Georgia Avenue Day, Minnesota Avenue Day, or Unifest, or um, an event at Fort DuPont, or um, a big RFK show, or um, this is before my time, but you know, go-go um, live at the Capitol Center, you know, things like that, that everybody looked forward to. I, I was talking to you earlier about how Y'all did a pop-up show at Iverson Mall behind, um, up against the wall back in the 90s, like 95, 96. And I was there, me and my friends um, had DJ Cool there. Um, radio station was promoting it heavily. That's how we found out about it. You don't see any of that. And I would like to know what would it take to get that back? Because I personally think that even though there was a period in time within the past 10 years or so that um, DC and the people who run DC were not the most supportive of Go-Go 
being um, performed in DC. I think now the tide is changing with the push for um, just more cultural expression, whether it be from um, longtime residents or new residents. Mm -hmm. So it would be real cool if they would, the, the, the city officials or whoever, and, and they're starting to come around now. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't you know, just want to bash them. But they, they, they're starting to come around now. But it would be cool if they would schedule some of those events because we know people, we know people love them. We know people yes. want to come out to see it. Yes. But some of the powers that be are still living in the 80s when all of that other stuff was going on, where crack was, had taken over every major city in the country, when violence was up, when DC was named the murder capital of the country, yes. and all of that did. That had nothing to do with go-go, right. but that we got stigmatized with that. Because the majority of the fans, they were coming from places when they were bringing those beefs into the... Yeah, I mean, this neighborhood is beefing with that neighborhood, right. but they all end up at the same party. Somehow. Right, right. Mm -hmm. You know, and you see that guy that you don't like in the party, so you ain't gonna wait till he go around his neighborhood or he come around yours. You're gonna go at him right there. Right. You know, which gave us a bad name. Mm -hmm. But <clears throat> instead of trying to uh, blame everything on us, they should have kind of worked with us to try to help weed out. We don't want the troublemakers in there because yeah. they want a party for everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, um, they should have tried. I mean, we've gone over and above to try to make sure that our events are safe by hiring off duty police officers. Right. We uh, do a full pat down. When, but when we first started, you, there was no pat down. You just pay your money and walk in. Yeah. Um, but we started doing a full pat down. Then we added the, the handheld wand, yeah. and then we were the first ones to use a airport-style metal detector to come into the club, and then go as what as far as making them take off their shoes, and no women couldn't wear an underwire bra. I remember, all I remember all those days. I remember those days. Just to try to make sure that when you come inside, you're safe. What happens outside, we had no control over. Yeah. And that's where most of that stuff happened, outside the party. So, and, and we had off-duty cops outside. Right. But there's only so much that they can do when you let five, 600 people out into the street at one time. Yeah. So, if, but some of the powers that be are still living in that time. Okay. That's gone. These, right. these people, the, the people that support us are older now. They are at least 25, 30 years older. Yeah. They they not they not doing any of that anymore. Right, they, 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 they got over it, whatever that issue yeah. was they had with whoever that issue is over with. Absolutely. I just think that's you know, of course it's important. We know that, but some of y'all know that I just uh, came back from after spending three weeks in Trinidad and Tobago, um, and it was during carnival season, so I went to many uh, con pre carnival events, a lot of soca music, a lot of calypso music, and one event I went to it's called the Army Fet. Um, it's the uh, the safest, and when I mean safest, they have the uh, they have the army as a security. Um, but it was also one of the largest events, one of the largest pre-carnival events. They had all the top soca artists and calypso artists coming out performing. They had the same type of security protocol that you just described. Mm -hmm. with. They had the wine, you know, pat down, checking bags, everything, and the the thing that was crazy. This was in a big field, a big field called the Queens Park Savannah. Um, if you make if you if you perform at the Queens Park Savannah in Trinidad, you're really about something. Um, 
the crazy thing is you were still able to bring in your own liquor, your own bottles of liquor. You know, and we're talking about in a country that has a very high crime rate, um, a lot of poverty, things of that nature. If you can have an event where I've only, I only saw one incident go down in front of me and I only heard of maybe like two the entire time. This happened from 10 p.m. to 5 a.m. Um, if you can have an event there and you see these people who see that despite all that's taking place, it's beyond imperative to maintain the culture, maintain and show and show that pride in the music that they created. I don't see why in a, in a city like D.C. where we've got all this money now, got all this advancement, all this development, we can't do the same to show that not only has the city progressed, but all the culture, all of our cultural expressions have done so as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we uh, it, and it can happen, you know, we can put an event on so, like, like what you were describing and have people come out and just have a great time. Yeah. We know that they would, they would love that. And the stuff is going to happen. I mean, that, that's, 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 that's a given, but you know, for all out anarchy, because I think that's what those same uh, official city officials who were stuck in the, in the in the old days are thinking that all out anarchy is going to take place, which is not the case at all. Ain't nobody gonna get shot. No, no. Ain't gonna get drive by. No. Trust me, those days are done. Yeah, they gone. <laughs> Can I get your opinion on the go-go list? Uh, the go-go the back-to-balls, the go-go So the question was about the Capital City go-go. Yeah, Capital City go-go, yeah. They did. They, they, they reached out to us uh, maybe about a month before they announced the name. And they uh, had a bunch of us in the room and, and showed us the logo and told us that what they wanted to do. We want to name this team the Capital City Go-Go. And I mean, that, that's we, we are ecstatic about that. And we're very proud to be a part of that because none of the other G League teams are named after anything like this in their cities. Oh, wow. This is the only team that took a genre of music and, and named it after and embraced it. Mm -hmm. uh, everything else is uh, 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 based off of the professional team there, like the, 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 the Delaware 87ers. 87 yeah. You know, that's after the 76 yeah. So um, the fact that they, one, reached out to us, to, to kind of get our blessing plans, and then to incorporate the name in a conga drum in the logo, you know, that was a real big thing. And there's a lot of other things that they have planned for the uh, new arena that they're building over there um, and uh, for some of the other events that they have coming up where they're going to include go go. Word. And I also want to give a quick shout out to uh, One Love Massive, where yep. they are uh, back back to the Go-Go series that they do, um, showcasing all the bands that are still performing yep. in DC. Young, old, don't matter, you know, um, and it's showing, and once again, showing that progression, not only in just in the city, but also the, the, the cultural expression, the sound, everything. So I think, just want to give a shout out to one of the masks real quick on that. Um, but, um, so speaking about just, you know, being able to play in the DC that exists now, there's a lot more creativity creators coming coming around in DC, you know, doing all types of things, podcasts, um, clothing lines that make have made a huge comeback. Uh, what else? Um, 
Street, uh, street DVDs are coming back apparently too. Are you serious? I don't know if the, yeah, they're they're really coming back. Do you, do you know anything about this? Yeah, I just saw my timeline <laughs> early. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> DVD no, but it's crazy because they, they put DVD no, in the name of it. No, please, let's not go back to Smack Air if they DVD. Why not? Back. Smack was fire. Uh, that's because you like battle rap, man. <laughs> Fair enough. Oh, uh, nah, that's cool. That's cool. But um, nah, but just thinking about all the different types of creators that exist in DC now, you know, that we didn't really see this plethora of talent before. Um, what ways do you think that we could create? We we could have we could collaborate with y'all. You know, because I think that's an important, that would be an important factor in also just getting the buy-in from the city and just other residents who didn't grow up in Coco. Well, I mean, this right here, this podcast right here is is, is a great start mm-hmm. um, because it's, it's not, you don't get a lot of this type of support okay. where people are going to come out. Usually it's been, you know, something negative. You know, they may say one thing positive, but seven things negative. Mm. And that's not what we need. Um, what the bands need are uh, support, and they need the, the cities, the city to embrace them okay. um, and open up some of the venues. Um, obviously, all venues are not for all people, but, I mean, we can, there, there are a whole bunch of venues out here now that worked here five or six years ago yeah. that we sh- should have access to, to be able to go and perform there. And we know that people want to see the music, right. um, so they will come out and support, you know, come out, have a good time, and, you know, go about their business. A, so when you're creating music and you're starting from scratch on a record, like, what does that process look like? What does that jam session behind closed doors usually go like? How's that? That, what's that feeling in the room? <clears throat> How do you know when you got it? Are you you know that? what? It, it starts for us. 90% of the time, it starts on stage with us. Um, we'll be playing a song, and we'll go into a beat. And once we see that beat working, we know that we have something to build off of. Right. Um, if we play the beat and people stop dancing, then that's not that's the not one, you know. The one that they're dancing and they're going crazy off of, it's like, okay, this is the one right here. Let's keep going with this one. So that's usually what happens with us. And it's always happened like that um, with us, where most of the songs that we create come from a live performance. Um, I mean, if you go back to some of the tapes from the 80s and the 90s, you can hear the songs developing. Yeah. You can hear where Lockett was being developed. You can hear Body Snatches. You can hear Overnight Scenario. Yeah. All of those songs there. Um, because we were trying them out on the audience to make sure that we were going in the right direction. Um, I had one person ask me, well, why do you rehearse on your audience? Why don't you perfect the song and then bring it out to the audience? Because we may not, we may think the song sounds good, but they may not. Mm -hmm. But, and it's an easy process for us to just try this beat out right here, right now, and then see if they react to it. And if they react to it, then you know you have something, keep going in that direction. If they don't react, switch it up. So that's the way we've been doing it for, we still do it to this day. Did you uh did you read that uh that Quincy Jones interview? I didn't. I heard pieces of it. <laughs> okay. 
the, the part that I was going to ask about is one that is something that you can give an opinion on whether you read it or not. And that um, he made a he made a comment in the, in the interview about just how a lot of hip hop producers today don't really know, don't have any real background in music history and things like that, different genres and what have you. Never played an instrument, formal, no formal training, this, that, and third, and therefore a lot of the sounds that you get in hip hop now aren't layered and complex, and they're just really basic. Um, I'm not going to ask whether or not you agree with that, but I'm going to ask, you know, when it comes to just the songs that y'all cover, have y'all found any difficulty, or is it not as fun for you to cover any of the songs that, you know, might be a trap song or something like that that's really popular, or do y'all just, you know, is it still just, you know, we'll still make it just as funky as one that's, you know, you know, a, a Sade record or something like that? No, we always do what we want to do. Right. We don't necessarily play the song like they played it. Because, like pieces of me. Yeah, yeah, I mean, because, <laughs> I was about know, to ask about we that. Have to, we have to make it fit what we do. Because if we are playing their version of the record, then you, you become a more of a cover band mm. as opposed to you know taking a song and making it yours and putting it out there your way. Uh, you mentioned Pieces of Me, that, you know, pop song with a, a heavy rock guitar in it. Yeah. We knew that the heavy rock guitar wasn't going to work in our audience, right. so we smoothed it out mm -hmm. with, the, with the rhythm guitar. Yes. Um, for the hip-hop, uh, for the song, Do You Know What Time It Is, mm -hmm. who people still think that we wrote that song. You know, that's a cool Modi song, right. but his beat is way different yeah. from our beat. The only thing we kept was the clock. Yeah. clock. That's the only thing, and we only use that at the break. For the most part, we switched that song all the way around. So us taking the song and making it ours is the way we get over with that. Right. You know, it's the way we cover the song. If we have to play it like they play it, we... Don't even want to do it. Makes sense. Since we're talking about uh, the story behind songs, overnight scenario, like you don't have to disclose too much information, but what was the first time, you know, you know, three in the morning, the pancake house? When was the first time you heard that or wrote that? Like, what was that process like? Well, uh, Donnell Floyd, um, what we we was in rehearsal one day, and there was a song out by Mary J. Blige at the time that was going by the days of the week, Monday, something Friday, else, Tuesday. Tuesday. Yeah, that song there. So. <laughs> you have a request for the crowd. That's it. Seven days. That's it. it. That's that it. From, uh, what was that from Wait Next Hail or something? Yeah, that's, that's totally, it's totally a thing. Tony Braxton? That was the album she was mad at Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was, she was. So that was on the My Life album. No, no, that was on the uh, uh, Share My World album. Okay, okay, go so ahead. Heard, so you heard the song. <laughs> she shows her star for the first time. So, <laughs> so um, that record is on the radio every day, all day. Yeah. So um, Donnell was saying, you know what? I want to do something like this, but not that. Right. So he figured, okay, instead of using the days of the week, I'm going to use the hours of the day. Yeah. And he just started to talk about the let out. That's exactly what he started to talk about. Yeah. That right there. And uh, we were in rehearsal, and he came up with that format. Mm -hmm. 
and he said, look, I'm going to try this this weekend. I was like, all right, cool. The moment that he hit that, the very moment that he hit it, the crowd lit up. Yeah. They lit up. So we knew. We got one. Got one. Let's keep going in this direction. And I mean, it, it, it was a it was a good, it was a great hit in regards to just, you know, crossing over the, the, the regional lines. Because, mm -hmm. you know, the last panel that you and I were on at um, MLK Library, I brought this up about how when that song came out, that was my first year at Howard University. And I met a lot of people who, who weren't from D.C., Maryland, Virginia, nowhere around this area. And they knew that song. Mm -hmm. They knew Overnight Scenario. Um, and I think, once again, because it was that hook, and that's something that everybody could relate to. Everybody could relate to. You know what Absolutely. I mean? Yep. Yep. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's, you know, everybody is relatable. It's yeah. very relatable. Very relatable. Very, very relatable. Hey, hey, I got a question. Okay, you got a question. Hey, can you talk about some of the most memorable venues you have played in? I'm going to give you two venues in particular. Crystal Skates and Wilmer's Park. Wow. Wow. Did everybody hear that question? Fire questions yes. from the audience. Okay. Crystal Skates. Does anybody in this room actually know what those locations are? Yes. Yes. I do know Crystal Skates. So Crystal Skate, playing at Crystal Skate was, was, I mean, that was, it was just amazing because there had to be 2,000 people in there. The amazing part is, is they didn't have a liquor license, so there was no alcohol. This was all hot dogs and sodas and all of that stuff there. Was it all, it was all ages? No, you had to be 18 to get in. Okay, okay. But um, you couldn't, but there was no alcohol. Right, right, there. right. So to, to be able to go over there and perform in front of, you know, 1,500, 2,000 people, at one time was, I mean, to fill up a skating rink. It was absolutely crazy. Well, that, that answered my question, because the, the era of go-go's at, at skating rinks, that happened, that was before my time. Mm -hmm. Before I was old enough to set foot in anybody's go-go. So I used to always wonder, like, so are people skating? So that answers my question, that yeah. they, 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 it was way too many people in there to, to Oh, they couldn't skate. Yeah, couldn't it was skate. way too many people in there to skate. Yeah. Okay. It, it, it was too, way too many people, okay. you know, to even try to skate. And the Wilmers Park, we look forward to Wilmers Park every summer because we know that people were loving that park. They would love to come there. That's like the official start of the summer, the Wilmers Park Memorial Day Jam. Yes. It's, it was always, and it's always a bunch of bands on the same car. That was the, one of the places where you could actually have something like that. Um, and draw four or five thousand people at one time. So, Wilmers Park, Crystal Skate, Washington Coliseum, Calorama Skating Rink, all of, and I think Calorama Skating Rink is something else now. Is it Trader Joe's now? I believe it is Trader Joe's. Not Trader Joe's, I'm, 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 some, some, it's some type of store. What's, what's the other, what's the, what's the, yes, Mark. no, not yes, no, the other grocery store. Calorama Skate? Yeah. The same grocery store that's in that's in uh in the Navy Yard. Harris, Harris Teeter. It's a Harris. Yeah. It's a Harris Teeter. I'm, I'm looking up it's the underground Harris Teeter. Yes, it's a Harris Teeter. No, no, there. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So we recorded um a live version of Work the Walls 
there, the, 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 the live version that we put out on the album uh, years and years ago. Okay. We recorded that at Catarama Skating Ring. And <clears throat> it was about 2,000 people in there that night. Did y'all ever perform at the, uh, uh, the, the Washington Coliseum? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Washington Coliseum is now REI over in uh, Noma. Yeah, <laughs> we performed at the Washington Coliseum. As a matter of fact, we were the first ones to bring new additions to town. <laughs> Washington Coliseum is also the, the, the first place that uh, the Beatles performed. Yep. Which was the first time they ever performed in the U.S. For anybody who didn't know. So you said uh, earlier in, the, when, in this interview, you said that GoGo traveled and it, what helped spread it was college students, right? Yep. So how how far does GoGo travel today? Like when you all are on tour, going to different you know uh, destinations, is that? You know, obviously strongly in the DMV, but what other areas are hot pockets where GoGo is truly appreciated, still in demand? Well, um, Richmond is always a good spot. The Carolinas and uh, the Tidewater area—that's good. There's a large DC population in Atlanta, so um, there's always a lot of people in Atlanta that go to here. I think backyard just came back from there. Yeah, he um, did um, a week or so ago. Um, they did a great job down there. Um, I mean, it's stretching out. It's even going to Africa. Backyard is going to Africa. I'll be next week. Next week, yeah. And um, Familiar Face, or Team Familiar, went to Africa last month, I believe. Oh, I didn't know that. So, Which I is mean, huge. I mean, I don't know how many people understand just how big a deal it is for live go-go performances to be taking place in, in, on the continent. Mm -hmm. You know, it just... It, it almost the feels the it connection almost, there. Yeah, it feels full circle. Yeah. More so than yeah, like a yeah, meeting yeah. for the first time. Just talking like, about that DNA code I was telling you earlier, you know, which is, you know, how, yeah. what, I, what, I, what I saw when I saw this soca, these soca performances live yeah. and the people, as soon as the, the, the drum hit, people just went into action mm -hmm. like that. You yeah. know what I mean? We have a question from the audience. Um, so, you know, it's this whole thing where the bands are going, you know, now international. Mm -hmm. Where's the been going in? So, question comment. You know, how do you feel about bands that are still around, traveling, going to Africa, Canada, wherever they're going? But we can't get the fans to go there. Right. But as soon as you say you're going to. DR, Dominican Republic, no, Puerto, Dominican. Puerto, Puerto, oh yeah, oh yeah, Miami. People love Miami though. People love Miami. So it's like, how do you get, get, get your, your, your true fans, your true followers? Well, it's a good question. Miami is easy. It's yeah. very, and, it's, and, it's, very and it's familiar. Easy. And it's familiar. That's why I don't go anywhere. It was. <laughs> I, 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 I love y'all. Uh -huh. I grew up. I'm a native Washingtonian. You know that. Right. But I don't want to go to Miami to see y'all. No uh -huh. offense. Uh huh. No, I get it. But I get I it. Mm -hmm. Right now, but if you say Essence is going to Toronto, mm -hmm. I'm there. Essence is, is going to Senegal, I'm there. Yeah. See, now mm -hmm. there are not a lot of people that are able to do that. But, but, well, but as far as Miami, which you know everybody seems to want to go there anyway, that was part of the reason for going there. It's like, well, a lot of people go to Miami for the weekend anyway, so why don't we just take, you know, a few bands down there and just call it Miami Takeover? 
So now it's grown into what it is. What I would like to see is for there to be a Las Vegas takeover, a LA takeover, a New York takeover, a Chicago takeover, where we go and we present the music to those, that, I mean, have some of the fans follow us from here, but present it to the people in those cities as well, because that would help to pull in more and more people to really spread the music around. I think, I think back, I think Backyard did a, 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 a summer concert series performance up at Central Park a couple years ago. They did. And I, 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 and I was supposed to go. I didn't I didn't make it up there. And I was like, I and need I, to go see that. And he was either one of the listens or Yeah, it was, it was a couple bands. went to Vegas, but it was during All-Star Weekend. <laughs> yeah. And Yeah, see, a lot of times that's the Thank easiest you, way. <laughs> that's the easiest way for the band to be able to go out there and the promoter to make the money to to be able to pay the band. When they because there's a large DC population going to All Star Weekend anyway. Right. So if you bring a band that they're familiar with, then chances are everybody from DC is going to that DC party. So that's that's part of the reason for that. Um, but again, what, what I would like to see is for some of the groups to get together or some of the promoters to be able to take the bands to different cities because we know once we get people in the door and, <clears throat> and get them caught up in the experience, yeah. we know that they're gonna become a fan. So then the next year, they'll be back and they'll probably bring some friends with them. Got it, got it. Well, yeah, um, I wanted to learn more about your relationship and kind of tutelage that you received from Chuck Brown. That's something that my aunt stressed. She was like, you know, you used to not necessarily spar, but collaborate with Chuck a lot. And I saw when I did some research, I saw the documentary that, you know, similar to how hip hop was derived from looking at disco and, and funk and looking for the breaks. And, you know, with you, you study Chuck Brown's music and you look for the pockets, you look for the grooves. So, you know, what did you learn from Chuck? How did he inspire you? How much does it mean to you? I'm sure a lot. Well, yeah, I mean, Chuck is a musical father uh, of, of all of us. Um, and, and what he taught us was, uh, one, the one very important thing that he taught us was when you go in the studio, be prepared. Don't go in there and learn the song on the clock. Right. Know the song before you go in there. So you don't have to be trying to figure it out and then wasting money. And that also wears the band down if they have to play this same song 25, 30 times. Mm -hmm. You should be able to get it in two or three takes. Yeah. Is what, is, that's exactly what he told us. Okay. You know, you should know the song well enough to get it in a few takes. Um, and as far as putting songs together, the production, the sound of it, he produced Body Image, which was the first record that we ever released. And he came down and he rehearsed with us for like three or four weeks before we even went to the studio. Mm -hmm. And then he took us to a studio that he knew very well, which was Sigma Sound in Philadelphia, which is where he recorded Bustin' Loops at. Okay. And he used the same engineers that recorded Bustin' Loops. So to, to have all of that be set up for us yeah. like that, it, because we didn't know anything. James Falk knew most of it. Okay. But we, I mean, we fresh out of high school, so we really don't know it yet. And, and that helped, I'm sure, definitely help add to just the, 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 the sound and the quality of the sound that you get with body moves. Absolutely. Which is one of my favorite 
Absolutely. Like, that, that song still stands up today. Still so sounds we, amazing. We're very proud of that song. Still sounds amazing. In the early days, I know that you used to record a lot of songs in Philadelphia. So, mm -hmm. And Philadelphia only being two, two and a half hours from here, I know they were probably influenced a lot by Go-Go in some ways as well. Right? You got artists like Jill Scott and so on and so forth. How was that tri-state reception of Go-Go? They, the they love Go-Go up there. They love Go-Go. Um, they got exposed to it uh, with us a little bit, EU and Trouble Fall. But I think most of their exposure came from DJ Cool, mm. actually, yes. because Cool has been traveling back and forth to Philly for years. DJing up there, and he would take all of the song. I mean, he called me, "Hey, I'm going to Philly this weekend. What you got new?" So you know, we drop the records off to him, and we know he's going to play it. So um, most of their go-go education probably came from DJ Cool. He even shouted out a club that I used to hang out in when I lived in Philly. Well, they changed the name, but it was the same space. So he shouted out Bahama Bay. Mm -hmm. But if they changed the name to Chrome Nightclub, it had the same setup, you know, it looked like a, 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 a beachfront. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who's that? Lorenzo Ice T. Thomas. Oh, man. Y'all yeah. with these throwbacks. These are two old heads in the room. <laughs> um, you got any more questions, Matt? No, let's start wrapping it up. I think okay. we're a little bit over now. Let's take Okay, okay let, me, let me wrap it up and then we're going to just turn it over to, to the audience for any audience questions. Um, so I was going to ask, what's next for for you, for you, for Rare, for Rare Essence? Well, we are in the process of putting a new album together, um, which is going to be collaborations with some of our favorite artists. Okay. Um, that should be out later on this year, but right now we just released a new um, music video, which is a ballad, um, which we haven't recorded a ballad in I know 15 years. Uh -huh. um, the song is called uh, How I Wish You Could Love Me. Okay. And it features uh, Casey Williams from Black Alley. Right. She did the vocals from it on it and, and she did an absolutely amazing job. She is a star. She is an absolute star. Absolutely. So the video was the video was just you released to YouTube I think a few days ago. Okay. And it's uh it's uh it's in the uh, BET, MTV, and VH1 systems right now. So we're waiting on them to give us a premiere date. Okay. Um, and uh, radio already has the song. They're not playing it yet, but they have it. Hopefully, they'll start pretty soon. Okay. All right. Well, sounds good to me. Who the, who are some of the artists that's going to be feature, featured on this uh, compilation record that y'all doing? Well, it's a bit premature, but okay. they're not the everyday artists you think of. Okay. It's not. It's they. This is going to be a very eclectic group of people. Good, good. I like that. But I like it already. It it makes sense once you hear it. It'll make sense for us to have recorded something with that person. And it's just a way to show the band's range. Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean. Yeah, that too. That too. I mean, we're fans of all types of music. Right. So you'll see that on this particular album. Here. Cool, cool, cool. All right. So. Questions from the audience. Go ahead. I had a question. Um, I thought recently, probably like a couple of, maybe like a month or two ago, there was something playing to call drummers outside here, actually, drumming. Um, and that is part of the culture drumming buckets and uh, drumming with uh, Malik has a snare. Mm -hm
So, so the question was about the uh, noise complaints um, regarding. Yeah, it was the, the noise complaints that turned into a meeting with uh, some of the residents who live between here and Penn Quarter of drummers um, outside. Um, and the uh, second question was about the, uh, the the constant statement of go go B and D. So the 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 drummer situation first. I mean, that's how junkyard got started, banging on buckets. They couldn't afford instruments, but they had buckets around the house somehow. Um, that's how they got started and turned into the legendary junkyard band that they are right now. Um, I believe that's how Malik got started, playing on buckets. Now he uses his snare, and Malik is Malik a phenomenal drummer. Malik, uh, he is a phenomenal performer. We've had him to, to, to perform with us. As a matter of fact, we're putting up a few more performances together with him now. Um, we love the way Malik performs and the way he blends in with the band. So, I mean, I understand the noise complaint issue of it, and I think that if they can find a way to manage it as opposed to stop it altogether, I think that would be a happy medium for everyone. You know, because you're stunting creativity, you're stunting growth when you just cut it off like that. And or you can buy that guy a set of drums. Buy him some drums, and then he won't be bucket. You'll get drums out there. Uh, second part of the question. Gogo's dead. Well, you have to tell that to the 15 or 20 bands that are working right now. Because we don't know it. We're playing at least twice a week, most of the time four times a week. Uh, EU, three or four times a week. Backyard, five or six times a week. You know, and then there's a, a bunch of other team familiar, listens, I mean, a subtle vibe, all of those groups there. Everybody is playing. So as far as Go-Go being dead, I don't, I don't know about that one. What do you think that, do you think people make that statement, because um, it's something else we were talking about earlier, do you think people make that statement because it's, it's not so easy? It's not easy, to, it's not easy to find. There's very few Go-Go shows taking place within the city limits these days. And it's just not easy to just go out and say, oh, this is happening here, this is happening there. You know, I know in, when I was in high school, I would just call the Icy Ice Hotline and find out when go-go was happening. You know, or you just hear about it on the radio. You look, you see the posters, you see, you just knew where to look. If you didn't know, you just knew where to look. And if you would just call somebody, now you don't have, and the, lot, and the majority of these shows were happening in the city. So we think that's why people might be saying go-go is dead? Because it, it, it exists on a regular basis, a live performance basis, more so outside the city. Well, that could be part of the reason, but go-go, I mean, the bands are still performing instead of using global posters, everybody uses Facebook, Twitter, and Snapchat, right. Instagram. Yeah. So, um, uh, um, you, yeah, you have to know where to look. Now, as far as radio is concerned, we have lost all of the radio support that we used to get. Yes. Yeah. I mean, there is. There was at one point. Well, he does a mix. He'll do a, a lunch mix. And yeah, he does. He does. Gemini's mean. He, he'll do a lunch mix. But there was a time when you would hear a Chuck Brown, a Red Essence, a EU, and a Trouble Funk record 
in rotation. Yes. All like not one after another, but you would hear one this hour, one the next hour, one yep. the next, and then you don't come back around. You we don't get any of that anymore. Um, so as far as radio is, is concerned, you know, they may think that GoGo is the GoGo still perform. We're still around. We're still active. We're still moving forward. Um, we would love to do it with the support of radio, but since they're not really supporting us like we need them to, we still got to keep moving. And 95.5 changed a lot. Yeah, this is, yeah, switch up the management. Yeah, like this whole new program that they just That's new management, yes. whatever happened. Yeah. Go, go 95. You could at least depend yeah, on it late at night. Yeah. Go, go 95. Yeah, they had Go, go 95. Um, uh, KYS still has the crank session, yeah. but it's uh, I believe it's only one night it, I, I'm not, no, no, it's every night, but um, they, it's only a half hour um, from 9 to 9.30, where it used to be 9 o'clock to 10 o'clock. You know, they cut it back. So, I mean, if we could get more support from radio, the, the, genre, the genre would really, really do well, do a lot better than it's doing right now. But it's not dead. It's definitely not dead. Okay. So, Oh, the YouTube. So sometimes I do these uh, call-in shows with friends. Um, Y'all can feel free to call me and we can talk about whatever you want to talk about. <laughs> There's been a few people who, in this room who have been on that show. But yeah, we talked about that. Yeah, we talked about that. So, trust me, it was one of those interesting meetings. And, you know, I, I anyway, this may harm or hurt, and this is something that has really pissed me off in, in the era of go-go Well, a lot of, a lot of. The, I know, I know. I every time no, no, no. The, the, but the promoters, the promoters, some promoters think that they are just as important as the band. As the band. Um, but when they do a show that doesn't feature the band, the show isn't as successful. So now, you don't really see. You may see us, Rare Essence on one or two of those shows, but we make them tone some of that down, right. um, which is part of the reason that they don't really want to work with us because we dictate too much of what's supposed to happen. Because, and that's only because we want the people to realize that they're coming to see the band, they're not coming to see the promoter, and then we want to promote, we want to make sure that the promoter is respecting the audience. Because a lot of them, a lot of these promoters out here abuse the audience, you know, by making them wait in line for hours, you know, or charging these enormous prices. I used to collect the money to see a piece, so I never. I, well, no, great example. Great example, yes. Yes, to be in line 
all that time. And then you and then you gotta pay forty and fifty dollars to get in. It's and that's yeah. I mean for the what for the regular line or the cut line? That was the cut line. Okay. See, see now all of that. All there's no place for all of that in this in this genre. I mean, you to have the people get in line, pay their money, get the pat down, and come on into party. So taking some of that money, that cut line money, and, and charging them those enormous prices, everybody doesn't have money like that. So that makes them leery of coming out on a regular basis. They can only come out when they can afford it. So if you make it affordable for them, they'll support more. So we try to curtail some of that, you know, but I can't be on the stage and at the door at the same time. Any more questions? I, I have a question actually. Uh, the fusion of hip hop and go-go, and we've seen it have some success over the years. One thing, Amory, Rich Harrison producing that, um, Pretty Girls, Wale, you know, being able to have, uh, you know, a mainstream distribution. Like I could, I remember hearing that when I was in college in California, you know, being, a, being able to hear those songs, but people not really understanding like that, that's go-go in that, right? And I feel like we can, we show that we can get to like the top of the charts, you know, globally or, or at least nationally, but it's just not consistent enough, right? I feel like we have moments, you know, but what do you feel like as being one of the originators of the craft of go-go music in DC? What's it going to take for us to get over the hump where we're putting out, you know, variations of go-go, whether it's in its purest form, a hybrid, you know, where the masses are really eating it up? So go-go in its purest form, the, the way we perform it in the clubs, most of the audience outside of D.C. is not ready for that. They're not ready for it. You have, you have to present it to them in a way that they will like it and then get them into the club, yeah. and that's when you give it to them in their purest form, because at that point they can't deny it. Right. You know, they get caught up in the atmosphere and they come out a fan. So also what needs to happen is we need somebody that has some major influence to be a champion for the music. We don't, we don't have anybody like that. If we had a major label or a major promoter that would be that would champion the music and try to expose the music in two different people and in different areas. That would help the music to grow. Um, also, the bands need to take a bit of the, uh, accountability for this too. They need to make sure that the songs that they put together are well put together songs. Yes, and they have to sound well. You can't just throw anything, record something one night, and then give it to the people at the radio station the next day. You don't have time to, to, to master and mix the record. Mm -hmm. So if you are not caring about your sound, why should anybody else? Or why should they support um, They also need to, I don't want to say they, we. We also need to have uh, uh, producers and writers to come in and help craft some of these songs because because you think it's hot or because your boy think it's hot might not necessarily make the song hot you right. know you especially gotta, to the untrained ear yeah yeah if that's your man and he ride with you all day and y'all listening to it all day yeah you gonna you gonna yeah, like yeah. it and that's your man so. but but if 
you put it, you give it to someone else, and they'd be like, oh, I don't think so. Oh, you just hate. Yeah. You know, right. no, nah, that's not it. I don't like the record. Right. That's just it. So until we have some real structure and organization to the way these things are recorded, mixed, mastered, promoted, distributed, marketed, mm -hmm. and all of that, until we have that, you know, the, 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 the records won't really go anywhere because that's what everybody else does. When you walk into the radio station to, to hand them your record and ask them to play it, you're not only uh, competing with all the other go-go bands here, you compete with Sony, with uh, Warner Brothers, yep. and with Universal. Yes. Because uh, uh, Usher or Jay-Z or somebody else probably got a record coming out that same day. Right. And if they got to pick this record or a Jay-Z record, guess what they're going to pick? Right, right, right. Are Google Bears eating off streams? Are y'all getting revenue off streams? Is that yeah, we do. Happening? Absolutely. Right. Yep. Well, I, I think this is a good place to end it. So I want to say thank you once again, right. Andre, for coming in. Um, thank all of y'all for coming out, bearing with us and, and during our technical moments earlier. But um, we're going to be doing this every quarter. So expect another one with, from us in the next few months. Um, no kinks. Trust me. No kinks. Um, so stay tuned for that. Um, so yeah, thank y'all. You have a good night. Uh, I'm not going to do the Russell Simmons uh, outro. <laughs> <laughs> but God bless y'all anyway. All right. Good night, y'all. Thank you. <laughs>